Welcome to As the Fire Burned Weekly. And this will kind of be the introductory episode of the weekly podcast. Of course, I already have the um, dedicated or more focused podcast talking about um, a specific topic or idea or scripture or whatever it might be thought process really with the musings. Um, so with the weekly um, program, what I want to do is I want to look at some things that we can kind of break down, uh, whether it's scriptures um, and dissecting them in their proper context, um, you know, discussing what we can gain from it, what we should gain from it, um, as opposed to just going through scripture and what I mean by that is um, there are very many um, people or products or guides that kind of just go through Scripture just to get through Scripture. I could never stand that um, because it's simply not the reason why we were given this wisdom to finish it to be able to say that we finished it. It's the completely wrong reason why we have the Bible, why Paul wrote the epistles. So I want to go through scripture um, in its proper context, looking at what we can get from it and not just going through it to move on and to say that we've done it. Uh, So we'll talk about stuff like that in the weekly podcast. Um, Also, whatever other topics might be pressing, um, people ask me questions and things all the time and whatever questions might come up, whether it's about amusing or anything um, in the in these weekly programs, that's something that we'll be able to go over too. Um, you know, as long as it's relevant, Uh, I'm not really interested in just talking about things that go on in the world and pop culture if it has nothing to do with God, the church or things of a spiritual nature, as even scripture tells us that we should focus on speaking things that do edify us. So I want to do the same thing with as the fire burns stuff that will actually give us something to think about. There's so much in the world that, I mean, has no uh, deep thought to it, no true context or point. Um, There's so much in the world like that. I don't want to add to that. Just uh, um, talking because I have the ability to speak and perhaps like to talk. Um, so, yeah, so whatever topics, whatever questions, whatever things, whatever scriptures um, strike me or that I have been asked about or whatever it might be, that's kind of what we'll touch on in the weekly uh, podcast. I think it'll be great. Um, again, just, you know, I grew up in church, church my whole life, and one thing I never uh, liked was how just with scripture, it was kind of something that was a race to a degree, um, something that was done. And at times it almost seemed like it was done just to be done. Um, it was done and, you know, the thought process was, okay, let's get through this. And it was something that I actually never liked, um, especially when something was very relevant to what was going on in the lives of the people in a given church or in whatever's going on, culture, society, whatever it is. I hate it when we got to a scripture that we needed to sit on, but, you know, it was just kind of gone through um, just to finish. 
So don't want to do that. Really want to look at things in context. And to begin in this introductory episode, I want to talk about context. It's a word that's thrown around so much in the church, um, among Christians. Everybody uses this word a lot. I just want to talk about what, what, what context actually means and what it means to use scripture contextually. Um, so to define context, I like to keep it simple. Really, with anything in regard to God, to Scripture, I like to keep it simple because it was written simple so that simple people could understand it. Um, you got to consider God possessing all wisdom understands just how simple minded we are. And he almost prefers us to be that way to a degree, small degree. But um, God understands our simple mindedness. And so he made the understanding of him, at least what we need to understand while we're on earth. Um, he made it very simple. So what context does, context creates uh, a background for something that is said or that is written um, in the case of scripture. That's what context does for us. Um, so in other words, it sets the scene of why someone said what they said. What were they talking about? Um, you know, when they came up with this thought process or when they answered this question, what were they talking about? What was the scenario? What was the setting? That's what context is. Um, so even simpler than that, it sets the scene uh, for why someone said what they said. And it's a huge part of understanding in any conversation, uh, but multiply very greatly when speaking of Scripture, because Scripture was written so long ago that without context, we can so easily lose the focal point of a thought process. Why was this said? Um, and, you know, what was the nature of what he was talking about? When it was said, without context, these are things that we simply lose. And I want to go into some examples. I just want to go right to some examples because there are so many scriptures that are used minus context. So I kind of want to just use some of the more famous ones and then give them context. And hopefully it'll paint the picture of how important um, context is. So. A huge one, I remember when I was younger, um, this was a big scripture used in the vacation Bible school, I believe, that I went to, at least the earliest one I remember. I remember this being such a big, big deal. And to this day, so many people use it. People who don't regard God at all use this scripture and just rip all context from it. Um, so let's let's look at Philippians 4.13. Some of you, it will ring a bell as soon as I say it because it was so imprinted on your young Christian mind um, in regard to just anything you can think of. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, I mean, that, that scripture is so used um, by people who don't care about God at all, yet will use this um, to justify um, any desire to do anything and will even throw the Christ part in. I, I can do whatever I want because Christ strengthens me. Um, whatever I want to be in life, I can do it because Christ strengthens me. So 
This is a very easy example of a scripture used with no context because people use it for absolutely anything, any worldly desire. Go. It could be the most ungodly thing ever. And people will say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me while they're talking about producing a, a, a music, you know, album. That's just the most ungodly you know, God dishonoring thing ever, they will use this to try to, you know, speak about why they were able to prevail because they can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, from athletes to just people doing everyday things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's where context becomes so important. If you remove or when you remove remove context from this verse, Sure, it can mean whatever you want. I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength to do anything. That's the no context version of it. And it works. I mean, with no context, that is perfect. I can do anything because Christ gives me strength to do anything. No context, no regard to God, no thought process about whoever wrote this. What in the world is he talking about? No, none of that. Just boom. Take these few words and throw them uh, to anything in life. Okay, so let's 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 look at what it actually means with context. Now you'll find that with context, um, it's very important to read ahead, just like with any letter or book. You could be reading a chapter of a book and take something out of context. I actually remember I was listening to a person once, and they were talking about. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. And in The Screwtape Letters, he's writing from the perspective of a demon. Um, And the person was speaking about, they were saying that C.S. Lewis was a secretly ungodly person. And I mean, I don't really care about, you know, that I'm not really talking about him. But they used a quote from the book to prove that he was secretly occultic. And the weird thing was... (laughs) If you would have just read the context, the quote that they used is spoken from the point of view of this demon who's trying to deceive people. And as I was listening to the person, I'm like, man, you sound like a fool and don't even know it because simply put, you have no context for what you're saying. So without context, sure, C.S. Lewis, now he might have, I don't know, I don't study people, you know, step for God, you know, Christ, I don't really care. But it's just the example they used was so wrong because they had no context. So they're using this quote that he wrote from the point of view of a demon trying to deceive people as a belief system he held. And just so even in simple stuff, just basic things that aren't scripture, you got to know what the person is talking about before you can make a judgment call or use their words for something. So in Philippians chapter four, we see Paul wrote another letter to the Philippians. Um, And he We need to see what brings him to saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let's start at verse, and I'm going to kind of look a little bit, see what verse I want to start at. All right, so we see whatsoever things. This is another popular one where he says, think on these things. And verse 8 starts there, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report. If there's anything of virtue, anything that is praiseworthy, these are things you should be thinking about. Great stuff. Um, the things which you learned and received, this is verse nine and heard and saw in me do these things. And the God of peace will be with you. 
already we're getting some huge context here. All right, because he just told them about how to live a life that pleases God and says, do these things. You saw it in me. I wasn't just about talk. What a huge thing um, for the Christian to take to heart. Right. That's why you don't skip stuff. When we look at context, we want to see who's talking and what's he talking about. Paul was a guy who didn't just talk it. He absolutely lived it. So that's what he says. The things that you learned from me, that you received, um, that you heard about me and that you saw do these things and the God of peace will be with you. I love it because another popular verse goes right. If you go right back up to verse six, be anxious for nothing. Um, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Something else that uh, is used sometimes minus context, but let's focus on the point. Philippians 4.13. So let's go to verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Um, that is to show their love for him. Uh, by helping him out. 11. Not that I was speak in guard, uh, not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned. Now, here comes the context, and I love, I love the context. That's the beauty of context scripturally. You get such a stronger uh, meaning, okay? So he says, not that I'm talking about need, okay? So he says, you guys had the opportunity to take care of me, and you did it. That is physical needs, whether um, he needed finances or food or whatever he needed. Um, they did that. They helped him out. But he says, not that I'm speaking about need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Huge, huge, huge right there. I know how to be abased. That's poor, you know, beneath, below, having nothing. And I know how to abound. That's another strong statement there, because why would somebody have to learn to be rich? Well, to not love it, right? To be able to be rich and not worship it, not become overwhelmed by it. So that's actually just as important in learning how to be poor, also knowing how to be rich, if that is your lot in life. Um, everywhere and in all things, I have learned both um, to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Considering the context and then considering how people use it, so much is lost when people use this for just anything. Here we see Paul writing this letter saying, look, you've seen how I live for God. Live that way. That's the first point right there. Being rich, being poor, you know, having all I need, being full, being hungry. I know how to do all of it and still serve God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What things? I can live for God. I can be poor. I can be rich. I can, you know, live a life without being anxious. I can be grateful. Um, I can live to please God because Christ gives me strength. Now, when you take this scripture and remove all of that awesome full context, what are you left with? Complete misunderstanding of what he was talking about. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And for that, I use it to um, pursue something that's going to lead me away from God because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me uh, or something that just doesn't honor God. God doesn't care about something that has no, you know, we're told to seek God's kingdom first. Yeah, well, I don't care about God's kingdom. This is building my kingdom and I can do it because Christ gives me strength. He's saying Christ gives him the strength to be poor and still anxious for nothing. 
that has depth to it that I can grab onto and use. So that's what I mean about context and the proper use of scripture and of things. That's something I can hold on to. I can do what I can be poor because Christ gives me strength. I, I can live um, the way God will want me to live because Christ gives me strength. I can think on things that are good because Christ gives me strength. Um, these are the things I can do because Christ gives me strength. So to remove the context from that scripture and make it as small as I can be a great athlete because God gives me strength. It's like only if you're going to use that and say, and I'm doing this for Christ's sake. I'm doing this for God's sake. So if God gives me the ability or if Christ gives me the ability to do this, I will glorify God. This will be for the benefit of God's kingdom and that I can do this. I can do because Christ gives me strength. So that's an easy example because it's so misused, such a popular verse, such a misused verse, an overused verse with no context. Uh, with absolutely no, and by the way, I need to read to you these first few verses um, so that you can understand context. So as you can imagine, as you know, this scripture is taken out of context a ton. Most scripture is taken out of context and just turned into a nice phrase. Um, and, And why? For what reason? People love phrases and motivational language far more than they love context. With context, you understand the why and the how, because that's the the difficult part. How do I have this mentality? How do I think on things that are good or be anxious for nothing? No, people would rather have the motivational phrase with no context because now there's work involved. Um, Also, I mean, people like to give credence to a belief they hold by taking scripture out of context. Okay, so if I take this scripture out of context, it can prove my thought process, right? I'll give you another great example. Let me get to it. It's Luke. Let's go to Luke 17. And there's, this is a great example of how people will take this scripture out of context to prove their thought process. Luke chapter 17 and then verse... 26. Now I'm going to read it and I'm going to give you it with no context the way people use it. And then we'll look at context Um, because this is just a great example of how people will take scripture out of context, even those who might be sincere, just to prove their point. Luke 17, 26 says this. "Um, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the son of man. All right. So in the days when Christ is on the cusp of returning, things will be the same as they were in the days of Noah. So there are very many people who take that scripture and partner it with Genesis chapter 6 and verse 4 that says, now these are the days of Noah. So Genesis 6, 4 says this, there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore them children. They were mighty men uh, who were of old men of renown. So a lot of people use that scripture to say, now, not a lot of people. I just know some people, um, some websites and some uh, people who believe that when you pair Luke 17, 26 with Genesis 6, 4, you will find that in the last days, giants are going to come back on the earth. Why? Let me read it again. Because Luke 17, 26 
I'm getting back to it again. Let me scroll to it. 26 says, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Okay, well, how was it in the days of Noah? So then they go to Genesis 6, which says there were giants on the earth in those days. So stop there. Please don't read anymore because to believe that Luke 17, 26 means giants are coming back, you have to stop reading right there. See, this is how improper use of context works. Okay, you have to stop right at that point in order to hold to that thought process that all Jesus is saying uh, when you look at Luke 17 is that giants are coming back. In the last days, giants are coming back. Luke 17, 26, Genesis 6, 4, please don't read any more than that. That's pretty much how you have to look at it. We're not going to, okay? Um, because again, and, and there are, if you've never heard that before, then okay, these are people who, you know, maybe you don't listen to to those types, but um, I've heard a lot of people who believe this, that in the last days, giants are coming back because Jesus said so. Well, let's look at some context. So go back to Luke 17, 26. And when you read it in context, Jesus's point becomes immediately clear, immediately clear. And I believe the only reason sincere people take it out of context is to prove their thought process. They believe a certain thing. They have no scripture to prove it. So they take this scripture out of context to try to prove it. All right. So watch how easy it is to explain what Jesus is talking about. Okay. Luke 17, 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so will be also in the days of the son of man. Then the New King James has a colon. Well, whether you put a period, comma, colon, semicolon, doesn't even matter. He continues on his thought process. That's the point. This is what he says. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given a marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Right here. He explains exactly what he's talking about. So if you read it as a complete thought, this is what he's saying. In the days of the days that come in the end, it's going to be just how it was in Noah's day. In Noah's day, they were eating, drinking, getting married until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So what's his point if we allow context uh, to rule? His point is they won't be expecting it just how they didn't expect it in Noah's day. It'll be exactly the same when Christ returns. People will just be eating and drinking and living life. They'll be getting married. And it says the same thing about in verse 28 in Lot's day. Likewise, in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. And it wasn't until they were destroyed that eyes were opened. This is what he's saying clearly. I mean, no question about it. He's not even thinking about giants at this point. He's saying nobody was paying attention. Okay. He explains it if you keep reading. If you keep looking at context, he explains exactly what he means when he says it'll be like it was in the days of Noah or in the days of Lot. Nobody would be expecting it. They'll be eating, they'll be drinking, they'll be having parties and birthday parties and, you know, celebrating, you know, uh, uh, holidays and whatever it is, and um, they'll be getting married and they'll be buying houses and selling and traveling and building and just living life, and nobody will be expecting it. Just how they didn't expect it with Noah until he entered the ark. Just like they didn't expect it with Lot um, until fire and brimstone rained down from Sodom and destroyed them all. That's simple, easy 
proper use of context. The only way you can pair Luke uh, 17:26 with Genesis 6:4 and say giants are coming back is if you are completely intentionally ignoring context because Jesus explains exactly what he's talking about. In the last days, nobody will be expecting it because they will be worldly, of a worldly mind, living for themselves, and they will have no idea it's coming. That's true. We see that every day. Do we see giants popping up every day? No. This we see absolutely every day. This is prophecy fulfilled. That's the beauty of using context. That's another easy one. Um, So as we look through scripture, uh, we're going to do it with proper context, um, considering the letter, the whole of the letter. Because remember, the epistles were not written in chapter and verse. They were written as letters. Paul sent letters to these churches um, and said, read the letters to everybody. So we're going to look at context that's true to the letter. Um, The next part of considering context um, is how does one break it down? Okay, how do you break things down? And that's that's what I mean what we're going to be doing is break it down. So how do you break down scripture um, when considering context? Uh, the beautiful thing these days is we have a myriad of resources um, to, to aid us, you know, in that quest. I remember when I was younger, before the Internet was a huge deal, um, I would use my dad's concordances um, and things like this because he had a bunch of Bible books. And that's what I would use to look up what a word meant and whatever. And I mean, I, I don't mind. I still have concordances. It's just with the uh, advent of internet and things like that, you can look something up very quickly. There are a lot of good websites that will help you uh, to break words down and phrases and ideas and things like that. So it makes it so much easier. Um, but context begins in the reading. What is the purpose of the one who wrote what we are reading? That would help so much with people who um, are victims of bad context. Remembering why was the letter written to teach people how to live God, how to uh, live godly, how to honor Christ, to live how we're supposed to live. If that's why the letter was written, then why do I think the context of this is how to get me rich? Right. I mean, just just basic understanding. What was the purpose of the letter? If that was the purpose of the letter, then this thing is probably not teaching me how to be rich or how to find my wife. Was that really the context of what was going on or how to, what job I should get, whatever it is. What was the purpose of what I was reading? Because that should help me in understanding what I should be getting out of it. Um, What were they talking about before and what did they say after? All that is a way, a, a good way to understand context. What what do they say right before that or at the beginning of the chapter break, you know, that was added later on or the chapter before that, however far back I have to go to get proper context. That's what I want to do right after the verses in the case of Luke 17, 26. What does he say right after it? Because all I have to do is read the very next verse and I know the context. Nobody was paying attention. Not so watch out. Here come them big guys. No, 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 no. Nobody's going to be paying attention. They're going to be living life as they want to live life. And it'll come upon them suddenly. Okay? All I have to do is read one verse down, and there I have context. So this is huge. And is often, it, it can help us understand things that may seem difficult before and after. Um, Jesus, right? The thing that led so many people away from Jesus when he was on the earth. He said to eat his body and to drink his blood. 
So was Jesus promoting cannibalism and vampirism? Right. He said to eat his body and drink his blood. Well, not if you continue reading and learn the context. Then we see he was not promoting cannibalism or vampirism or whatever it is. He was speaking figuratively of what would need to be done for us to become a part of his ministry, to accept this gift. This is what we would have to do. It is not that we would need, you know, to pretend um, to be eating his body or to pretend to be drinking his blood or to actually eat somebody's body or blood. That's not what he was talking about. Uh, but if you don't read before or after, you could be left sitting there like what? Just like many of the people who left where he says to his disciples. So you guys leaving too? And Peter very wisely, you know, in a moment of great wisdom says, no, you have the words of life, whatever you want. You know, this is what we need to do. So it wasn't until later on that they would fully understand what he meant. But those who were there they're thinking, man, this guy's crazy. He wants us to start eating him, you know, and drinking his blood, which, of course, he wasn't talking about. That's why context is so, so valuable before and after what was said. Um, it's kind of sad how many Christians are divided, how many denominations and uh, sects and division there are based on a simple lack of contextual respect of the doctrines of the Bible. It's really sad. I mean, even how many churches are divided. Now, I've always had a problem with there being 10 churches who all are pretty much the same in one area when it's like, man, if you guys got rid of your simple divisions, how much more powerful could you be in your area if you weren't fighting each other, you know, for these hundred people? Okay, so you got 10 churches and, you know, 100 people and they're all fighting each other for these hundred people. So they're. Uh, contradicting each other, even though they do it with a smile and, oh, I love them, but yeah, they just whatever. And I see this all the time, especially in the area where I live, because there are a lot of small towns that are connected to each other and they all smile at each other and smile at you as they just attack each other behind each other's back. It is the most, I don't know, I absolutely hate it. I mean, it's just sad because um, I deal with a lot of people who are outside of the church. And I always feel like I'm defending God because of what they've seen growing up, because everybody knows everybody. And they all are just the people on the outside. They have all these issues with drugs and all the things they're dealing with. And yet they look at the Christians in the area as hypocrites because these are their family members and cousins and people they grew up with. And they know how badly they think of each other. And it's so sad because so many of them um, are divided because very small things that they refuse to allow scripture to speak on. It's absolutely horrifying. Um, yeah, I mean, it's horrifying. I just get to see it in this area where I am. I see it so clearly. And it's just, it's it's such a sad thing that I'm usually find myself in a place of defending God because, you know, people say, man, the church is such hypocrites. And they're right. And it's just sad because I'm, I'm playing defense all the time. And I don't defend them. My thing is to defend God to try to represent his kingdom, um, you know, in the face of the things that go on. So it's sad to me that so many Christians are divided because of just not respecting the context of Scripture, which would really do away with so many uh, divisions easily, very easily. Um, and then there are, there are Scriptures, uh, you know, that speak on the same topic, and this helps out with context because this is the figuratively speaking legwork. 
Okay, when there are scriptures that speak about other things that could help us um, to understand a thought process. A good example um, is the contradiction or the disagreement between James and Paul. Let's look at a couple of scriptures because a lot of people who are not fans of context, because like I said, this is the work um, when you study Bible, when you study scripture. This is the work of understanding. This is the difficult part of more than just, yep, I read it today. Now I can put it down and do my stuff I want to do. Um, this is the difficult part. So I'm going to give you what's considered a contradiction or disagreement. Uh, James chapter 2, starting at verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well, but the demons also believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Then he goes on to explain more. So James clearly had this thought process. Faith by itself is not enough. Faith has to be partnered with works. All right. So then we go to Galatians. Because Paul seems to contradict him or vice versa very strongly. All right. So then we go to Paul. Um, in Galatians, in chapter, let's look at chapter 3, and I'll start at verse 2, and I'll just read for a little while, so pay attention with me here, because uh, he's going to seem to contradict James very strongly about the need or the, the contradiction between faith and works. Verse 2, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's starting off, right? These two would be going at it, wouldn't they, if it was a church today? But like I said, this is if you just leave it as it is, no context. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Now, it's funny because this will be a direct contradiction, seemingly, of James, if you don't consider context and compare scripture with scripture. Um, and the scripture for saying that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Uh, so Paul expresses how works is of no use when considering faith. This is a huge problem, right? This is a huge contradiction. James is like, faith without works is dead. Paul is like, faith with works is non-existent, right? You can't be saved through works. Oh no, this is a huge problem. When you remove context, um, then we have the huge issue there. Now this is a huge, actually, you know what? 
we just have our first with our first or second, this being the first, uh, as the Fireburn Weekly podcast. Our second one is going to be on that contradiction right there and the truth of it and how it's actually not a contradiction at all. So you'll want to be back next week to hear about that because this is a big one. Too much to break down right now. Um, so that'll be our our first weekly program outside of this introduction. What is the truth of that contradiction? Is it a contradiction at all? Um, so we'll save that. Also, uh, lastly, due to language issues, um, as far as finding proper context, we sometimes actually have to look words up um, to understand what they meant in their original language. This is more work. Um, but again, that's why I spoke of the many online resources that we have um, that you can look up the definition of a word. Because sometimes uh, contextual issues are solved through learning what the words meant in the original language that they were written in. Um, so, like I said, there are so many online concordances, and you could probably look it up on certain sites and just see what, um, okay, what did this word mean in that language? Because maybe I don't get this. I don't know if this makes sense. I need to see what the word actually meant at that period of time. And that also can help. So there's a lot um, there's a lot of ways to get proper context, but mostly it's reading the before, reading the after, remembering what this book is about um, and what this specific letter was about um, as well. That can help us to understand the context of a certain principle, something that is said. Um, and like I said, that becomes a very, very important thing. Um, and again, Speaking of context, probably the most important thing is understanding what I'm supposed to get from what I'm reading. Um, and I would say yeah, this is kind of easily the most important part of Scripture. Um, and yet, sadly, through uh, sermonizing, that's what I call them. People just look for things to preach because it's Sunday. Again, I just call it sermonizing. Uh, they're not really concerned. So I'm definitely I'm not saying everybody, but those preachers who really don't care what you're getting out of it. It's just Sunday again. So I got to talk about something. Uh, so, you know, close your eyes, wiggle your fingers and boom. OK, this is what next week's sermon is going to be about um, through that type of stuff. So much context is left on the floor. Uh, because people are simply searching for what's catchy or trendy or quick-witted or deep or whatever they're looking for to fill 30 minutes. Um, instead of actually looking at what did Paul want you to get when he wrote this? What did he want the Corinthians to understand when he wrote Second Corinthians? You know, what did he want the Ephesians to get when he wrote Ephesians? What was Luke trying to explain when he wrote the gospel of Luke? You know, what did, what, 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 why did Jesus give John the revelation? What did he want him to get out of the revelation and to give to us? That opens up a huge window of understanding when I see why did they write this letter, this book, this phrase? Why did they say this phrase? Um, that goes so far in helping me understand context and then using it in the right way. If I'm not just trying to get something deep or catchy or something that can stick in your mind for a second until you find something else to stick in your mind. Um, yeah, we. I mean, that the most important part is what am I supposed to get from this? What am I supposed to learn from this? Um, what is it going to teach me that I will now know how to do? Uh, that's, that's using context in the right way. Um, all scripture is inspired and serves a purpose, uh, but it's vital that we know what the purpose was 
or is for us at this moment. Um, I get so frustrated when I hear people using scriptures that were just written to the Israelites and try to use it for the saints. Because not all scriptures, and we'll have so many examples of this as we go along, not all scriptures written to the Israelites are applicable to the saints, to the church today. We're going to look at that. That'll probably be uh, amusing because that'll take, I mean, there, there will be a lot involved in that and really just showing and proving that point. Because some Christians absolutely believe that whatever God said to the children of Israel applies for us. And it's just not true. Simply put the easiest one, just so, you know, to not leave you hanging too much, is how God taught Israel to deal with their enemies. He pretty much said to kill them and get rid of them. I mean, nobody can argue that point. That's what he said. Okay, when you go into this land, kill everybody. All right. That's what he said. We will even look at why, because trust me, God is not unjust because of this. I can absolutely prove that to you. Um, but he said to just kill them, get rid of them, and I will raise up to you a godly nation. Nowhere are the saints taught to do that. Absolutely nowhere are we told to kill anybody for any reason. We're told we're pilgrims, we're strangers, we're moving through. Okay, we're not to told we're not told to kill anyone. That's just biblical right there. Nowhere in the New Testament uh, when the saints have been spoken to are we told to kill someone. Remember when Peter even thought Jesus meant go to war, so he pulls out a knife and uh, cuts the guy's ear off. Um, and, you know, Jesus says, what are you doing? If I wanted to come and just, you know, tear everybody to pieces, I would have come with angels, not not with you guys. Um, so very simple. That's just an easy one. That's something the Israelites were told to do that we're not told to do. Um, quite contrary, we're told not to do it. Uh, so like I said, but that'll be a, a, a huge, huge study that we'll need to do. Um, but yeah. And, and again, I mean, even the law proves it, you know, some, some things in the law that the Israelites were specifically, um, told to do that the saints were not told to do. Um, you know, because of Christ, we're not beholden to the law. Like I said, the law cannot condemn us. Um, and like I said, I'll explain that even more. That's, I mean, Hebrews is full of explaining that just how uh, the law cannot condemn us because we're not under the law. We are under uh, Christ. So the law cannot condemn us. Um, yeah, but like I said, that that can be explained even even more as we look through things. Uh, but anyway, the point is we're going to look at Scripture in context so that we can know what we ought to be receiving from it without the handicap uh, of having to make it catchy uh, with, you know, sermon series and stuff like that. That's my point. We're going to look at scripture in these uh, weekly, uh, as the fire burn weekly in these podcasts, we're going to be looking at scripture for proper context, not how to make it catchy, not how to fill time, kill 30 minutes. That's the beauty of podcast. It doesn't matter how long it takes. Uh, we're just going to look at it. What did this scripture mean? What's going on in the world? Um, if it applies to the saints and to the church and to what's going on, that's what we're going to do. So, um, just introducing you to the weekly podcast. Like I said, the first one is going to be Paul versus James. Uh, contradiction or, uh, let's see, what's a catchy word? Confederation. Yeah, that might work. I don't know. But yeah, Paul versus James, that's what we'll be looking at. Faith versus works. Did they really have a disagreement? Or is it something that actually makes sense and proves that they were in lockstep with one another? So that's where we'll start. We'll see you next week. Uh, I'm definitely going to try to do this. That's why it's called As the Fire Burn Weekly. I'm trying to make sure that I do it every week. Um, so bear with me. 
um, and I'll try to make sure I'm doing these every week. And these will be great. Um, and like I said, with this, so many people from the musings, uh, you know, giving questions and stuff like that. Keep doing that. Some people have even asked me to touch on certain topics and keep doing that, too. Um, and I'll do it, you know, um, as, as, uh, as as things come up, I'll add those, whether it needs to be amusing by itself or whether it can be part of the weekly um, uh, podcast, I'll put it there as well. So uh, that's what we'll be doing. And this we'll call this episode zero. And we'll start with episode one next week when we look at Paul versus James, faith versus works. So we'll see you next week.